0: Our sermon tonight comes from the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. We took last week, I think, um, verses 1 through 19. This is where God the Holy Spirit inspires Ezekiel to preach against the leader of Tyre. You remember from last week? That the first section of that section deals with the earthly king of Tyre. God says, I'm going to put you down. And then um, in the second section, he moves from speaking of the physical king to the symbolical king, which is the devil. And so behind, we saw it this morning, dealing with the subject of spiritual warfare. Before all of the human antichrist rulers, obviously, is the devil. And we're going to move on from there. And we're going to look at a word of judgment against Sidon, But in that word of of judgment against Sidon is really a promise to Israel. And that's my hope tonight is to to perhaps end the Lord's day on an encouraging word. At least that's my intention. Ezekiel 28, verse 20. Hear the word of our holy God. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon, prophesy against her, and say thus says the Lord God. Behold, I'm against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her. I will manifest my holiness in her. I will send pestilence to her and blood in her streets. The wounded will fall in her midst by the sword upon her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And there will be no more for the house of Israel, a prickling briar or a painful thorn from any round about them who scorn them. Then they will know that I am the Lord God. Verse 25. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and I manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. Then they will live in it securely. They will build houses, plant vineyards, and live securely. When I execute judgments upon all who scorn them round about them, then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so thankful for your word. It is a light and a lamp unto our path. It shows us the evil of sin, the guilt of sin, the ugliness of sin. And we're so especially thankful, Almighty God, that you have given us your Bible to present us the answer for our sin, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for the gospel promise. Help us to see, Lord God, that your eye is on the sparrow, that your eye as the husband of the church, is always upon the church, and that you will regather your people from every land of affliction that they abide in. And someday, very, very soon, we will be gathered around the throne of the Lamb. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. I've kind of alluded to it in my opening words and even in the sermon title Israel Relieved and Regathered. And for me, since I'm covenantal in my understanding of the Bible, although at one time I was dispensational in my understanding of the Bible, which means different things for Israel and the church, but as a covenantal person, when I look at the Old Testament, I often will refer to it as as the church or the old church. Um, even Acts chapter 7 says Israel in the wilderness was the church, ecclesia. And so when I look at God's promise here, um, in verse 20 and certainly in verse 20 and 20, uh, 25 and 26 God's promise to do two things relieve Israel from their affliction from their enemies and then to regather Israel in the promised land for me given the kind of the overarching grid that I see the scripture through that is to say kind of a, a redemptive historical grid this is God promising the Israel of God this is a, a Galatians chapter 6 we are the people of God God applies to Born again Christian people, he applies to this, those, those language, the, the words and the titles and the attributes that he did to the old church. Uh, for example, James chapter one: we are the diaspora, we are the scattered. So when you hear me say certain things, God promises to relieve the church, the Israel of God. I'm taking from the old people of God to obviously we are grafted into the to the to the to the, to the church. Um, so we're looking at a, a promise by God. Of I would say essentially deliverance. So there is a deliverance in the section, if you look at your Bibles from verses 20 to what uh, 24, this is where God promises to relieve Israel from their enemies. That's the first portion of the scripture. Now I'm going to kind of meld them into three heads, but I'm just going to break out the passage before you tonight. There are two main divisions, that 20 through 24. That's God saying to Sidon, I'm going to put down my enemies. And when he's speaking to Sidon, one, it's a promise of judgment to the enemies, but the promise of judgment to the enemies is meant to relieve the people of God. This is not, I'm going to say this in the body of the sermon, he's not meaning to convert the Sidonians, he's meaning to comfort his people. So when God says to the enemies, I'm going to put you down, it's not to comfort the enemies, it's to comfort the, the saints. You remember when the people of God came out of Egypt, there's two great bondages in the Bible the Egyptian bondage and the Babylonian bondage. And this is writing during the time of the Babylonian captivity. God says, I'm going to emancipate my people. I'm going to liberate my people. I'm going to save them. And then then that's the first part. I'm going to put down the enemy. And the second part in verses 25 and 26 is God says, I promise I'm going to regather you from the nations. Remember, they're in captivity. And He says, I'm going to take you out of captivity. And what is he going to do? I'm going to bring you into the land That's why I had our brother use that Isaiah chapter 2. And men will study war no more. And I prayed it. And they're not going to kill or or harm on my holy hill. When will that happen, beloved? When will that happen? When will the people of God never be subjected to war? No more. No more death. No more tears. When will that occur? When the Prince of Peace comes back. And so those are the two divisions. And I'm going to kind of weave them together in the body of the sermon but I want to look at this under three heads. And it's going to be a basic sermon. Please forgive me. Much of this, you're going to say, well, we, we know all that. And the Apostle Peter says, I know that my departure is coming. And, 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 and Peter uses this word in Greek, and Paul uses this word in Greek, and Jesus uses this word in Greek. It's Exodus. Jesus says, I know that my Exodus is coming soon. This is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and the Apostle Paul says, I know that my exodus is coming soon. Peter says, I know I'm about to pour it out and he uses the word exodus. I'm going to be liberated. I'm going to be saved. And I'm going to be brought into the promised land. And, and so the Apostle Peter says, what I'm about to tell you, I know it's old hat. I know you know it, but I want to remind you. And so this is, again, I, I am going to deliver tonight, by God's grace, a very basic sermon. And the three heads I want to look at uh, in this sermon are the author, the speaker of these words, because it's significant. And then in the speaker, we're going to be looking at the divine speaker and then the divinely inspired speaker, which is Ezekiel. And then I want to look at the audience. To whom is God speaking? And he's going to speak to the Sidonians and they represent their Phoenicians. They represent the enemies of God. They are haters of the Lord God and they hate the children of God. And if you know your, our catechism, how is Jesus our king? Our, our, Jesus is our king in that he subdues us to ourselves and he conquers all of his and our enemies. This is We're not rejoice. The Bible says that God does not take any joy or happiness in the death of the wicked, but God will get glory by it. And so he speaks to the Sidonians and then he's going to speak to his children. So that's the audience. And then third, under the third head, what God means to convey in this. So that's my intention. Who knows? Sometimes in my preaching, I start with a plan, and then sometimes the Holy Spirit has other plans for me. But that's what we look at. Now, let's look at the speaker of these particular words. If you look at your Bible, look at verse 20. And this this will appear silly to you. I was not raised in a Bible-believing home. I was raised in a home that considered themselves Christians, but we didn't read the Bible. And we did not read the Bible. When I went to church, I was raised a Roman Catholic. We did not read the Bible. The only guy in the church with a Bible was the priest. We used what was called St. Joseph's Missalette. And it was a little paper booklet that we read, and they had a form of written liturgy. And we followed the, the written liturgy, but we didn't read the Bible. So I was not a Bible-believing Christian. And look at the emphasis of this passage, because it gets at the it gets at the speaker, and the. My overarching purpose is to comfort God's people. This is a, I hope this is a comfort passage. And even the identity of the speak, speaker will speak comfort to us, I, I hope. Look at verse 20. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Look at verse uh, 25. Thus saith the Lord. If, if you've been with us in the Ezekiel series, and if you know the prophets the common rejoinder of the prophets. And sometimes even unbelievers mock the, the Old Testament prophets and they paint a cartoon with a, a, a man, we used to call them, well, it used to be called sandwich boards. They're from, the, a man has a sign on the front and he has his straps and a sign on the back and he, he kind of mocking the Old Testament prophets, thus saith the Lord, the end is near. That's the common rejoinder of the prophets. Thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, very basically, we are looking at God's promise of denunciation and judgment, God's promise, and God's promise of restoration and relief from enemies, and finally, the regathering. Um, look at uh, verse uh, 22 again. Uh, 22, 24, 26. Thus says the Lord God, 24. Thus, that I am the Lord God. And then if you look through this passage that, that personal pronouns. God says in verse 22, I am against you. Verse 22, I will be glorified. Verse 25, my holiness. Verse 25, the land that I gave you. I know this is super simple. You're saying, well, John, all you're doing is pointing us to the fact that God, the God of the Bible, is the divine speaker and he is, he is the one that divinely inspires these words. This is the second, what is it, Second Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17. All scripture. Beloved, this is, not, this is not a small thing. Every other truth of this passage and in the entire Bible is built upon the fact, thus saith the Lord. I wasn't raised a Bible-believing Christian. I thought the Bible was filled with lots of mistakes as a young person, even as a professing Roman Catholic. I thought there were lots of mistakes. I didn't believe in a real Adam. I didn't believe in a real Eve. I didn't believe any of it. Real devil didn't believe any of that. It's not, it's, it's not factually true. Beloved, If this, if these words to Israel, to Sidon, are not factually true from a God who cannot lie, then what kind of comfort is it to the people of God? There's no comfort. There's no comfort. What does the Bible say? Is it Hebrews chapter 11? Without faith, we cannot do what? We can't please God. When you come to the Bible, for a person to profit from the Bible, P-R-O-F-I-T, for a perfect person to profit from the Bible, they must believe. And when I say profit, I only mean two things. For us to benefit from the Bible, and I and preeminently I'm speaking two kinds of benefit. I'm talking a justification conversion benefit and I mean a sanctification benefit that we mortify our sin and we, we vivify, we grow in righteousness. Faith. We, I think it's the Apostle Paul that commends the Thessalonian Christians that they received his preaching, his reading as the very word of God. When God c- comes and says to, the, to his people, I'm going to put down your enemies without faith. There's no comfort. There's no assurance. There's no hope. But with faith, when you hear the law of God, what is that song? The law's loud thunder. This is the this is a Galatians 3. The law acts as a school what? A schoolmaster. When the law of God says the wages of sin is death. And the gospel of God comes and says the free offer of God is what? Eternal life. Without faith, those are just words. Without faith, they're just words. But in faith, we're brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're cleansed of our sins, and we're built up in Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, she the apostle Peter excuse me, says, she who is in Babylon greets you. These people are in the Babylonian captivity. The people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. They're in the Babylonian captivity. And God says, I'm going to regather you, I'm going to bring you into the land. Beloved, when you read the word of God, do you derive comfort? Does it comfort you? Where do you go when the enemies, in this case, the Gentiles, the haters of the Lord, the haters of the Lord's people, they act, they act as briars and thorns to your eyes. Where do you go? Where do you go? My mother passed away in Monday, and I've been going through some difficulties. And this is very strange because I turned 58 the other day and this i wasn't prepared for this because i didn't think that this was me i wanted to talk to my mother here i am going through this afflictive providence which is quite painful to me and i found myself the whole week i wish i could call my mom why because i want to talk to the person who comforts me because her words comfort me where do we go when our mom is gone when our dad is gone where do we go and even when my, my mom was here, she couldn't fix what I need her to fix. We go here. We go to the Word of God. And and I know we're moderns, we're enlightened, and all of the modern, so called enlightened atheists, and they're not really atheists. No one's really an atheist, Paul says in Romans one and two. They know there's a God. They look at you and think, You're a Bible believer? You just you believe the Bible. You believe the Bible is the word of God. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you believe the Bible is true. What do you say? Yeah. I believe everything's true. I believe everything's true. And we come to the word of God and we believe. And there are certain times that we come to the word of God and we struggle with belief. And then what do we say? Lord God, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And so these are the words of God. And when I say these are the words of God, look at verse 25, and this is important too. The Bible says, thus says, look at that, thus says the Lord God. And then in 26, thus says the Lord God. God's using his personal name, as it were, his covenantal name. He says, I'm Jehovah, I'm Yahweh. This isn't a generic God. Sometimes people say, well... You know, the God of the Bible, Jehovah, is the same thing as the God of the Islamist. Oh, no, no, no. We're not talking just different language. We're not talking different language. God says, I'm speaking to you, and then he identifies what God is doing, the speaking, the God of the Bible. Beloved, we live in a kind of a multicultural age where, and we're taught to believe, even in the society in which we live, all roads will eventually lead to heaven. If my wife was raised a Hindu, the Hindu gods will take you to heaven, and the Christian God will take you to heaven, and the Muslim God will take you to heaven. Beloved, how many gods are there? There's one God. And who is this one God? The God of the Bible. The Lord God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one Godhead. How does that work? I have no idea. I, n- I have no idea. God says it, we believe it. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes along and he uses that covenantal name. He does it in Greek, and the Hebrew says Jehovah Yah- he does, the, the Hebrew is, is Jehovah our Yahweh, and Jesus does it in Greek. And the Greek equivalent is what? Ego a me. Ego as I am. And me as I am. Jesus says to the Jews, I am that I am. And they pick up rocks to do what? To kill him. So, so the speaker of these words, the promise, the promise of denunciation, the promise to the enemy, I will put you down. I will win. Is the God of the Bible. You remember what God says to Pharaoh in the book of Romans? Pharaoh, for this reason, I did what? I lifted you up. For What purpose? To knock you down. To knock you down. To reveal my power in you. Before whom? One before the enemy of God, but not to convert him. Ultimately for what? The comfort of God's people. Did the children of Israel free themselves from slavery? Did they do it? No, they were a bunch of slaves. For 430 years, they couldn't emancipate themselves. And who emancipated them? This is meant for the comfort of God's people. We're always looking around. I did did it. I'm looking around for my mom. Where's my mom? I need my comforter. My mother's not my comforter. My dad's not my comforter. The president's not my comforter. No man is our deliverer. God says, don't trust in the power of princes. Don't put your, 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 your trust in the strength of a horse's legs. This one god says to the enemy i will win i am the god that is was and will always be the lord jesus christ is the one without beginning the one without end the one that always will be and he is for us he's saying to his church to his bride the enemy is not the battle is not yours we're fighting they're fighting but the battle is not ours ultimately And when the enemies are overwhelming to us, we have won. What does the Bible say? God says, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. So this is the one who's speaking. And beloved, sometimes I think like this. Perhaps it's a little silly. I I do say, I wish I could see Jesus. I so want to see him. I we walk by faith in the Son of God. We live on the Word of God. Jesus says to the devil, we live on the Word of God, Matthew 4.4. 4, everything that comes out of his mouth, we live on it. And that's what God is teaching us. Live on this Word. Live on this promise, to the, the promise of judgment to the enemy, the promise of liberation, and, and regathering to the friends, to the children. Live on the Word of God. But beloved, is it easy to live on the Word of God? Is it easy? We want to see it. We want to see it so bad. Imagine, can we imagine? I guess we could. I read a J.C. Rowell sermon that he said, Let me take you in your mind's eye to such and so. And he was taking people to a hospital and to an insane asylum in this example. So I said, I think if J.C. Rowell can appeal to our imagination, I'll try. Imagine if Jesus Christ stood before us and we could see him. And he said, I promise I'll put down the enemy. And I promise I'll bring you where I am. And you could see him say it. How would you live the remainder of your days? How would you live? Wouldn't you wake up in the morning when life was difficult and think, I can do this. My Jesus, who is truth personified, Jesus says, I am the I am. This I am has promised me, and he cannot lie. There's a view. I've mentioned it before. It's obnoxious. It's called open theism. People think that they're cutting edge and, 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 and new in theology. It's always dangerous to be new in theology, by the way. It's the idea that God could lie. There are people that call themselves Christians that say God can lie. I can take a guy milking a cow who can read the Bible, and he can answer that smart guy who says God can lie. What's the answer? God cannot lie. He's truth personified. If we could see truth personified in the flesh, glorified, telling us all of the enemies will be gone one day. They're not going to be a thorn to you. No more briars. And you're going to be where I am. Oh, beloved. And the second speaker that we have, obviously, is the prophet Ezekiel. And you think, well, Pastor John, that's so self-evident. I think it is self-evident a little bit, but in another way it isn't. Most often, God does not speak to man directly. Most often, he speaks through a mediator, through a spokesman. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that the church is built upon the foundation of what? The prophets and the apostles. Most often, God speaks to us, his people, through the lips of his chosen man. And that's significant. God takes a sinner and saves him. And then commissions him, and then puts his word in his mouth, and sends him to his people. And what does that mean? That means when the prophet of God comes to the people of God, he's one of them. He's a saved sinner. We have to receive the words of a saved sinner that are proclaiming the perfect words of God. And that's very important. The Bible tells us in the book of Judges that people were doing what? What was right in their own eyes. You remember Korah's rebellion? Remember Korah's rebellion? And what did Korah essentially say? Moses, are you the only holy person here? We're as good as you. Moses was wanting to fall down on his face. Why? Because he knows the holiness of God. And then God told Moses to tell Korah, okay, you bring your censer tomorrow, and we're going to see the man that God chose. Is it Moses Or is it Korah and his rebellious crew? And what happened to Korah? The whole ground, Beloved, and and my point with this is just this. Isaiah had to go preach naked. There was another prophet, Hosea. I forget which one. There was another preacher that had to preach naked. Uh, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because of the Babylonian captivity. Um, uh, When you saw Elijah... Preaching the word of God. Will you look at, you know how sometimes ministers you have to be like six foot four, but handsome, super handsome. You gotta be super handsome, and that's what grows a big church when everybody has handsome, and people go, Wow, that's how they chose Saul. How did they choose the first king Saul? He's a great big, tall guy, he's way bigger than all the short little guys. We'll pick him because he's tall. People look at the outward. And so people come under the preaching of the word of God and they go, he looks pretty good, yeah. He looks, yeah, yeah. And who does God send? Elijah. Was it, was it Elijah, Elisha, one of them? When the kids came out of the woods and they cried to the prophet, what, hey bald head? <laughs> and the bears came and ate him. God chooses the foolish things of this world. Things, our flesh is inclined one, one way. Send me a good looking guy, a powerful guy, a polished guy, then I'll believe. And God says, I tell you what, I'm going to send you John the Baptist. And what did you see when you were looking at John the Baptist? A guy wearing a camel skin coat. And what was he eating? Bugs. And he's preaching the word of God. When you looked at the Apostle Paul, Paul talks about this in the 2nd Corinthian letter. You know what people were saying about the Apostle Paul in the church? He can't preach his way out of a paper bag. You know what? He's a little bitty guy. He's not very handsome in appearance. He looks like a goofball. And when he comes, he's not. his speaking is not even impressive. That's who God uses. Remember how I said we have to receive the word of God by faith? But we have to receive it from the instrument that he sends to us. Many years ago, before I was a minister, I was a carpet cleaner. And I just kind of really becoming reformed and Calvinistic and all the things that that means. And I was cleaning a woman's carpet. And of course, I'm feeding her the Ephesians passages and the Robits passages, and I'm trying to sucker the old woman into a discussion on Calvinism. And she said, young man, you know, you're pretty smart with that Bible. And I thought, yes, I'm pretty smart with that Bible. And she said, you know, the Bible is about loving Jesus and loving folks. And I thought, what does this old lady know? (laughs) She doesn't know. Tulip, she doesn't know. And off I get in my truck and drive off. And the Holy Spirit convicted me to tears. The old lady knew more than I knew. The Bible is about loving Christ and loving people. So when we profit from the Word of God, we have to look behind the appearance of the servant or the agent that God sends us. If God sends an old woman to comfort you with the words of Jesus, look beyond the old woman's appearance. James Henry Thornwell, I went to a southern seminary, and I know there's always a debate, are the Baptist covenant breakers and uh, the Presbyterians the only ones that are right and blah, 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 blah. James Henry Thornwell was the founder of this southern Presbyterian church. He said, the most godly woman I ever knew was my Baptist mom. So we look beyond the appearance, the outward visage of the prophet and by faith receive the word. So those are the speakers. And then the audiences would been men- mentioning, the audience we've been mentioning all along, he has two classes. God addresses the Sidonians. They represent the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people, and God has a word for them. Then God addresses the House of Israel. they represent the children of God, and God has a word for them. I'm going to say something about the children of Israel, the household of God, in just a minute, but I want to say this. I mentioned this this morning, and this is a truism. There are only two kinds of people in the entire world. Human beings, we subdivide all over the place. Um, are you I'm three-quarters Irish and a quarter German. And, and where did your mom come from? Where did your dad come from? And what's your dialect sound like? And what's your socioeconomic? All over the place. What's your educational level? All over the place. Do you know how God looks at people? Are you in Christ, my son? <laughs> or are you out of Christ, my son? Are you on the broad road, walking away from Christ towards perdition? Or are you in the narrow road? walking towards the celestial city, to use the language of John Bunyan. So this little passage teaches us God has enemies, people that hate God. You say, why would anyone hate God? God is holy, God is good. That's just the point. That's just the point. Sometimes I ask people, when they come to talk to me in church, I'll usually try to see if they know Jesus. I'll say, do you think people are basically good or basically bad? What do you think? And what do people want to say? Oh, no, no, they're, they're basically good. They're basically good. So, okay, if I go check your car door right now, it's open, right? <laughs> and and you're, you're, you, the door in your house is unlocked, right? No, no, they're locked because you know people are not basically good. They're basically bad. Man hates God apart from being converted. And the only thing that makes us a friend of God, a child of God, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, When it, which it's in itself is a gift of God. John chapter 1, 10 through 13. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. So there's only two kinds of folks. The enemies of God. And we show that we're enemies of God when we're enemies of God's people. And the friends of God. God's people. This is why I always get nervous. You hear it all the time. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian. I just don't go to church. I don't really like Christians because they're all hypocrites. Wait a minute. I'm, we've been talking about Mama. Mama. Who would say anything like that concerning their own mom or their brother or their sister? We all have brothers and sisters and we know their faults and foibles and they know ours. And we can squawk to brother and sister among brother and sister. But let someone else from outside the family squawk about our brother or sister. What happened? That's fighting words. That's fighting words. Because it shows our filial love. And so when a, when a professing, when a person says, I'm a Christian, I just don't love Christians. Jesus says, you will know them by their what? Fruits. And the preeminent mark of being a child of God is that you love other Christians. So it's a dangerous thing to say, I belong to the Israel of God. I belong to the friends of God. I'm a child of God. But hate other children. Many years ago, I shared with a man who says I'm a Christian, but he hated, whole, he, hated he told me, he hated slews of other kind of Christians. And I, I was a carpet cleaner at that time. And I said, I have bad news for you. I don't know why I did it, but I did it. I said, the Bible says, if you say you love God who you can't see, and you hate your brother who you can see, what? You're a liar. And the love of God is not in, the, in, in you. So the enemies of God are outside of the church, as it were. Both the Roman Catholics and Protestants have that view. There's no salvation outside the visible church because we have the means of grace. But in the church, old Israel, in the Israel of God, we're a mixed multitude. We saw it this morning. There's a Judas in the church, and there's an Apostle Peter in the church. Wheat and tares. And even in in this context... Many, many of these people taken away into Babylon captivity, they were in the, the Israel of God. They were among the people of God. They were outwardly circumcised, but their hearts were not circumcised. So, so the word of denunciation to the enemy is applicable to them. So when God says to the Sidonians, I'm putting you down, he says to the false Israelite, I'm putting you down. I'm putting you down. Someone said to me the other day over a grievous sin, not a church member, I talked to lots of people on lots of occasions. And he said, yep, I've repented. I repent. Yeah, Jesus is going to forgive me. The other person has to forgive me. I repent. Does Jesus forgive lying repentance? If you lie, I'm really repentant. I'm lying. No, no. So the person that's in the Israel, the outward visible household of faith, and they have no faith they're going to get what the Sidonians get. They're going to get judgment. But again, the word of comfort, I would argue, is to the true believers among the people of God. Read Hebrews 3, Hebrews 4. Now, we've mentioned this maybe last week. I can't remember. When God says... So, so the chapters 1 through 24 in Ezekiel is God's word to, um, to Judah, Jerusalem, specifically... And then from chapter 25 to chapter 32, he's speaking to the Gentiles. Now here, when he says to the Sidonians and their Phoenicians, their ship-going, ocean-going kind of people, they're rich. If you remember, we were looking at the denunciation of Tyre. They're rich, they're wealthy, they're they're wealth-worshippers, they're idolaters. The Sidonians were worshippers of Ashtoreth, a female goddess, fertility and so on, with gross licentiousness and all kinds of things like that. When we look at these people and God says, I have a word for you. I'm going to destroy you. Sometimes as Christians, because we focus on the love of God and the mercy of God, which we should, and I hope that I do, we forget that the word of God has two purposes for it, or or, or the gospel has two aromas. God says in Isaiah chapter 8, um, well, he says elsewhere, that when my word goes out, it won't come back to me empty and void. And the Lord inspires Paul to say, when when when." One person hears the gospel and the Holy Spirit's not accompanying it, it's an aroma of what to them? Death. And when another person hears it, accompanied by the Holy Spirit, and they believe it, it's the aroma of life. The, and, we, and we forget this as moderns, we forget. I would argue that our view of God is is shaped more by modern society and less by the Bible. The God of the Bible is a holy God. He says it. They're going to know that I'm holy. He says it again they're going to know that I'm holy the enemies are going to know that I'm holy and holiness carries a twofold idea in Hebrew it carries the idea of transcendence he's other he's above his creation and then it carries with it this sense of ethical purity and even as a born-again Christian cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we understand holiness this bit 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 is sin grotesque to you does it turn your stomach that you want to vomit no No. Why? Because of the remnants of sin. Is sin utterly abhorrent? This is infinitely holy God. Yes. God says to the enemy, you're going to know I'm holy. And God says to his child, and you're going to know I'm holy. But we're going to know he's holy in a a little bit different of of a way. This is a Romans chapter 9. When God... God has two vessels. Remember the vessels he has? God says he has a vessel of mercy... And he has a vessel of what? Wrath. These Sidonians, these Gentiles, these enemies of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, they prove it by the hatred of the people of God. God says, I'm going to glorify my justice in you. We don't think like that. And I'm not saying that we take any pleasure, we're glib with it. But God says to them, someday I will be glorified in you. When you will say from your own lips, Jesus Christ is Lord and you'll hear depart from me you worker of iniquity. And God says to this other class of people and you will know the holiness of the Lord. You will know his holy mercy. And the justice that he has on the enemies of God magnifies the mercy that he has on us. Can you imagine standing on the on the last day which this is ultimately pointing forward to the day of judgment in the time of restoration, can you imagine standing there in a line knowing that you have sinned sins of a grotesque fashion only to hear, come, well done, blessed, forgiven. And then you see others that have lived in your sin but they died in their sins. Here, depart from you. That magnifies this. Beloved, the hope for the Christian, the ballast for our souls in this world, with the thorns, the enemies, will we finally, you and I, as lovers of Christ, will we make it through this world? Will the Babylonians, will the unbelievers, will the Sidonians crush the church of Jesus Christ? Will they be victorious against you? No weapon formed against a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ will prosper. None. And someday, all of us, all, all, remember every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, will be gathered out of this Babylonian captivity, and we're going to be gathered up to our Lord Jesus Christ. Men will beat their spears into plowshares and study war no more. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.